Truly, that's the cry of our heart, Lord, that we have nothing without you. Lord, we love you with all our heart, all our mind, and all our strength, all of our soul, Lord. Father, you are our all in all. We want to give you all the glory, the honor, the preeminence in our body. Lord, in our voice, Lord, I pray you'd give us voice tonight, Lord, to worship, Lord, to minister the word, to pull on the word. Father, may you give us energy, Lord. Give us an unction, Lord, from down inside of us, Lord, and our souls that would cry out, Lord, that we need and we desire that eagle food tonight. Lord, we desire to hear once again from our theophany body. Lord, we love you so much, and we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to be in your service, to be in your house, Lord. And Lord, may you just close my mouth, Lord, to the things that you would have me not say. And Lord, help me not to hold back, Lord, from the things that you have desired, I would say, tonight. Father, we commit this speaking of the word, the reading of it, the hearing of it, too, into your hands, Lord. Father, may it not go out void not return void, but Lord, may you give the increase, we pray. We commit all things into your hands, and we love you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's take our Bibles together. God bless you. Welcome to the service tonight. It's certainly wonderful to see each and every one of you here again. Amen. Amen. Even some in the balcony, God bless you. Amen. Amen. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians, if you will. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and then we'll also turn to Romans chapter 12, and 2 Corinthians chapter 5 as well. Keep you standing for a little bit, but it's all right. Amen. We had a, a good young people's on Friday night. Amen. And we just thank the Lord that he was present. I know if it was just me speaking and it wasn't the Lord here, it would have been a major disappointment. <laughs> but I thank the Lord that he came. And we had a wonderful service this morning. I, I felt enraptured after a message like that. Grounding and just good. Good. There's none good but God, and that was God. Amen. Amen. You got your Bibles open, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. Very familiar. 
casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Let's turn also over to Romans chapter 12. I don't mean to skip back and forth, but it's, it's not far. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. I'll say that deals with the outside man, the flesh. But then he goes a little bit deeper in the next verse, and he says, and be not conformed to this world, He's not talking anymore about the flesh as much as it's true. Don't have your flesh or your apparel conform to the ideas of the world, but it won't be that way if you don't conform your spirit to the world. It says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And one more verse there which says, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Amen. Let's turn back over as well to Second Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. And hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Not imputing their trespasses unto him. And hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you. By us, we pray you in Christ's steed, be ye reconciled to God. That is the cry of every minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I cry and I plead and beseech you in the place of Christ, be ye reconciled. Accept the atonement. Uh, be found under the atonement to recognize what he did for you to reconcile you back to himself. That is the point of preaching. That you could accept what he's already done. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Amen. May the Lord add his blessing to the word. You may have your seats. I want to speak tonight and we'll carry on from a couple of Sunday nights ago. Which is the mind of an overcomer. And I want to take for a subtitle, Reconciled Memory. 
reconciled memory. And uh, because we read in the scripture here where it says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Behold, all things are become new. Not just a few things, not just I've got a new spirit or I've got a, or as I have a new spirit, not just I've got his spirit in me and he's changed my soul from doubt to faith. He's filled me with his Holy Spirit, but there's more than that to it. All things are become new. You can't hold on to the past and hold on to the old man in any way, shape, or form, but rather you have to press forward, as the Bible would say, press toward the mark, press toward that prize of the high calling. Don't hold back with that anything and say, well, I'm a new creature, but I like this little bit over here. No, it's got to be a complete death to self. The old man has to completely die. A death is not a partial thing. You can have certain paralysis. You can have certain uh, things or certain limbs that, 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 that lose their feeling, but death is not just a part death. Death is a total thing. It's, it's no more animation whatsoever. Not in the body, not in the spirit, not in the mind, not in the soul. It's dead. It's made new again. You've got to be a new creature in Christ Jesus. And tonight, I want to focus intently on a reconciled memory. And really, reconciliation, reconciliation is to bring back into union the affections that, that were once alienated, or to restore favor after estrangement. So with a memory, it's to bring back memories that are good memories, that to bring back something that is good and something that is true and something that is holy, something that is of a good report. The Bible would say, think on these things, if there be any strength, any virtue in them. Think on these things, to bring those back into your memory and to make that your memory. And I want to say the memory that you have in your five senses, where we know it, I'm not going to put any screens up or slides up tonight, but we have, you know, the outside man with see, taste, feel, smell, and hear, and the inside man, one of his senses is memory. And we know that these, these senses that are there, there's five of them, there's a conscience, there's a memory, there's affection, there's reasoning, and there's an imagination, but it's not just that they're separate in themselves, but they're convoluted within each other, and one will affect the other one, and I even considered tonight preaching more on the imaginative memory. But I'll say a few things about that in the future. But, but right now we want to deal with a reconciled memory. Because it became, they can become so convoluted till we can take a memory and use our imagination to twist it into something that didn't even happen. Or we could take a story, a simple example that especially young men like to do. They like to take a story that they have in their memory and embellish it to the extreme. You know, someone tell them a story about how they got, oh, I'll just say something, but they got pulled over for doing 10 over, and their buddy says, oh, my buddy got pulled over for doing 20 over. And the next guy tells it he was 30 over. And pretty soon, it's amazing, he didn't lose his license. And it's just an embellishment. It's an imaginative memory. That the, the, the original story is real, and it's a real memory, but it's gone through an imagination, through another one, through another one, that they imagined it would be a better story. But in, in our memory, your, our memory is a memory of this life. A memory from your first birth, from your, when you were born to your natural carnal parents. Your memory began, and maybe it took a while to be developed because I don't think there's anybody here that remembers the day that they were naturally born. Those are memories too long ago. Memories that our minds were not developed enough to, to comprehend what was going on, and thank the Lord. But, but it, our minds weren't, weren't able to comprehend that. But as we grew older, memories begin to develop. 
And Brother Branham would talk about memories and the first visions that he would have and how he remembers that, that he would see and it would be a whirlwind in the tree and different things would happen and he'd be terrified by it. But that was a memory. That he knew he couldn't get away from it. But I want to say, in our own selves, these memories, because our first birth was not the birth that, that, that birthed us into the kingdom of God. It was a birth that birthed us into the kingdom that is around us in this dimension of, of time and space and matter. But rather, and also the, the fourth dimension as well. But, but, uh, but these, these memories didn't start before the time of our birth. Okay, we, we, we already don't have memory of our birth. None of us have memory before that in this life. We can't go back and say, I remember when, oh, when I was in my mother's womb, or I remember when I was in my father's loins. No, you don't remember those things. But you were there. And we could go back a lot further than that because I want to say that's not the memory of your origins. That's the memory of this life. Now, I want to take it and let's go to Ephesians chapter 1. Lay something in that's, that's very pertinent right now. It says this in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, Brother Danny. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Amen. This is a familiar scripture to us. When did he choose us? Before the foundation of the world. And it wasn't that there was an army of theophanies marching around, but we were in him. We were in his thoughts. He says that we should be, and it was for a purpose that, 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 that he's chosen us before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Our first birth did not produce this. In other words, he predestinated us and he called us before the foundation of the world. But notice, his memory of us was not when we were born to our natural parents. Though he did pre-plan that we would be born to that parent. He watched over our grandparents, our great-great-grandparents, our great-great-great-great-grandparents, all the way down to when they came from where they were, and they came across North America. Some of them came to Trinidad. Some of them came to the Philippines. Some of them came to different places. And all of them, they watched over it so they would come to a certain place. But God wasn't looking at you saying, the purpose is so you could be born to you. It wasn't so I could be born to Tim and Alice and Dodd. He was looking beyond that. Because regardless of the fact that my father, when I was born, was a born-again gospel preacher, that didn't make me, that didn't make me predestinated. That didn't make me uh, to be without blame and holy before God in love. It required something more. So God's a memory of us did not begin at a first birth. And it says in verse 5, it says, Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us acceptable in the beloved. In other words, he did something to make us acceptable. Amen. That it wasn't just by our own doing, but it was his grace. We're saved by grace through faith. Amen. So now in these scriptures, you could take it, and I'm just going to condense a few quotes and bring it into a statement which would say, predestination points to adoption. You're predestinated for a purpose. 
It's not just so you could have a something better or you could hear something better, but it's so you could come to the adoption of a son of God or a daughter of God. It's so you could come to maturity, which is what you were meant to be in the Spirit. You were meant to be an adopted son. You were meant to be a mature son. Are you with me? In order to be holy and, 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 and without blame and to be that way before him in love, you had to be, come to a place of maturity in Jesus Christ. Romans 9 and 11 would say, For the children being not yet born, neither having any good, any good or evil, but for that the purpose of God according to election might stand. Not of works, but him that calleth. If it would have been works, we would have chosen Esau. Because Isaac chose Esau. He was willing to give the blessing to Esau because he liked Esau. He was a man. He was a man of the wilderness. He was a hunter. He was a, a great man. But Isaac looked to those things. But God, before they were ever born, chose Jacob. Chose the shyster. Chose him because he put something within him and he knew that out of him would the seed of Abraham come forth. Out of him would come a great nation. So therefore, because of election, election points back now. Election, if predestination points forward to adoption, predestination is by election and election points back to your origins. It points back to where you came from. It points back to where you were before the foundation of the world. Because this is one, this one, that God could say about them and about you, could say, this one was in me before the foundation of the world. Therefore, I've elected them. And therefore, by foreknowledge, I've predestinated them. That they could have ears to hear and the ability to come to adoption. It's the grace of God. That we could, he could put something within an individual, within a worshiper, by his foreknowledge. It's in Romans chapter 8. We might read it a little bit later. But we find that God, whom he did foreknow, he, he, he predestinated them. He put something in you so you could receive. I'm laying a very basic foundation for you. But, but basically, the only pre-planning that God did was to make sure that you would come forth in a decreed season. That was the pre-planning of God. Brother Brown would talk about pre-planning right down in the November of 1965 and things that are to be. And he would say that, that God pre-planned your birth. God pre-planned that. But that's all he says about it. He pre-planned your birth. He says everything was pre-planned. In other words, everything that was pre-planned was everything to do with that birth. Are you with me? But God, by his foreknowledge, knew who would go beyond that. And he left it up to you with free moral agency. It wasn't God who pre-planned the horrible things you did in your life. God didn't lay out a plan and say, you're going to fall in adultery. Or you're going to fornicate. Or you're going to lie. Or you're going to cheat. And you're gonna... God didn't plan that. So are you sure about that? Yeah, to God, sin is sin. Black is black and white is white. But the Brandon would say a sinner doesn't sin. That's just his nature. 
That's looking through the eyes of God to see that. God's not looking at it saying, oh, this man's done this and I didn't foresee that. No, God by his foreknowledge knew that regardless of your first birth, regardless of what you went through, you would come to a place where you would receive the word of God. Let's go to Luke chapter 15. I mentioned this briefly to the youth on Friday, but I need to lay in a little bit further. Luke chapter 15 would, would tell us the, recount, the account in verse 11 of the prodigal son. And in verse 11, it starts out, it says, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said of his, to his father, Father, give me the portion of thy goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his, his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his sustenance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine, that he should, and he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's house have bread enough to, be, to spare, and, that I, and I perish with hunger, and I will arise and go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. I want you to catch what's happening here when he finally comes to himself. He doesn't come and say, I'm a son. He comes in complete humility to say, let me just be the least. Let me just be a servant. I'm not even worthy to be in your house. That's exactly how it is when God comes across the path of a predestinated seed. Brother Adam would say this. He would say it in the Smyrnian church age. He said, as we were in the thoughts of God and then expressed in flesh, there had to come a day when we would hear his voice. The word. And hearing that voice, we become aware of the Father calling us. And recognize that we are sons of God. We heard his voice and we cried out. As did the prodigal son. Save me, O my Father. I am returning to thee. Don't you catch that? Brother Benham's not talking about someone that was raised in the message and backslid. He's talking about someone that came from the thoughts of God, was born by their first birth, a sinner. But when the word of God came across their path, they begin to cry out within themselves and they begin to have a recognition of who their father always was. Hey man, it didn't change them because Brother Adam would take it and say, if you were a sheep, you always were a sheep. It didn't change you from being a pig to being a sheep. You always were a sheep. But the fact is you didn't recognize you were a sheep. He talked about the story of the eagle in the chicken yard. He knew it was, he was different. He couldn't quite comprehend it. But when the mama eagle screamed, then he recognized something and he realized, I, though I was in my first birth born down here in a chicken coop. This is not who I really am. It wasn't that he was born in the eagle's nest and decided to go live in the chicken coop. 
He was born in the chicken coop. But he wasn't a chicken. And when the word of God came by his way, he recognized, that's me. I love the wording in Luke 2. In Luke chapter 15 where we read it, he says, And when he came to himself... What was happening? He was coming back to who he really was. He was coming back to what he was down in his heart. He realized, I'm not this sinner. I can't live this way any longer. There's a reason why this has always seemed strange to me. There's a reason I've been an outcast. There's a reason nobody's wanted to take me in. There's a reason why I can't get along right with people. Because there's something in me that's different than them. And he came to himself. Could say it this way: His this is his memory came back to him. The Branham would say, "God, who is in God, is rich in mercy." He says, after a while, he says, "You heard the gospel." Maybe you went to church, you picked out this and that. You went from denomination to denomination, but one day, you being a part of God. <laughs> If you ever will be a part of God, you always were. Regardless of the path you took to get there. He says, you of you being a part of God, you had to be a part of the word. And when you heard the word, you know where you come from. You know that was the truth. You were always, the seed was in you, and the word seen the word that was in you. That was there before the foundation of the world. Saw the word and you come to it. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. The word always comes to the word. But what he say? The word of God recognizes the word that's in you. That was in you before the foundation of the world. Because that was the attribute. That was the part of God that was predestinated. But the Bible says, be careful here and see this. This is in the Smyrna church age. He says, it's not the person that comes predestinated eternally from God. It's not the person that comes predestinated eternally to God. No, it's, it is the word or the seed. That is it. Way back there, too far back for the human mind to grasp the eternal God with eternal thoughts. Hallelujah. What was it? It wasn't you so he could say, but, but I've been through so much and I've been through this. And, and God, no, it wasn't you that he predestinated. He put the word in you. He predestinated that word eternally so that his word could come back to that word so that one day in a body change that word would put on the outside and take on a word body. The word coming to the word going to the word. Oh my. So this memory... The memory of this flesh, the memory of this spirit, with all its scars and complexes. That is a record of what this unredeemed flesh did under the influence of a serpent nature. That's all it is. When we look and say, but I remember when, when I went, when I had, when I... That is just a record of what this did under the wrong influence. That's your first nature. That is not your eternal memory. 
God is not concerned with all the little intricacies of what you did in that nature. He's not concerned with all the little intricacies and we get so bound up in ourselves, but, but, but nobody did it the way I did it. Nobody fell how hard I fell. But nobody knows what I'm grieving with. If you ever get to feeling that way, just go and read Isaiah 53. Because in there, and I think it's the second verse where it begins to talk about him being raised up as a tender tree. Tender plant. There's no beauty in him that we should desire him. If you ever think, I want to give the depression a black eye right now. If you ever think that I, it's not worth living, it's not worth getting out of bed in the morning, and my life is not worth anything. Imagine living your entire life knowing you were only here to die, the worst possible death, that you would give your life healing people, and they would crucify you. And you knew that and still get up and do it. How many of us, myself included, would give up and say, if that's the end, I don't think I want it. But he did that. He remained perfect. He went through all of those things. And he knew he would be despised and rejected. He knew Isaiah 53 from verse 1 right to the end applied to him. He knew it would please the Father to bruise him. He knew his soul would be offered as an offering for sin. He knew he would be counted with the transgressors. He knew he was blameless. And still do it. And still get up every day. And stay up late at night healing person after person after person. Having eternal knowledge, knowing that some of those people that he was healing would stand in a crowd and say, crucify him. Oh, who are we? Let no man think more highly of himself than he ought to think. But let him live according to the measure of faith he's been given. God, to God, sin is just sin. Say, oh, some sins are greater than others, sure, to us. But a sinner is just a sinner. The Brian would go on and say, and he would talk about it very early in his ministry, all the way up to the end, where he would say that committing adultery is not a sin, lying is not a sin. What is it? Those are attributes of sin. Because sin is unbelief, and you were born in unbelief. To God, it is all just unbelief. And all of it is just attributes of being in a sinful nature. That's why when I was preaching and teaching the young people on Friday, when Nicodemus came to Jesus and he said, we know you're a teacher sent from God. No man can do these things except that God be with him. And Jesus just cuts him off, Brother Brown would say. He says, I'm not the teacher. You go read in the Smyrna Church Age where he says, I'm not the teacher. Brother Brown paraphrases the next line where he says, you must be born again. He says, I'm not the teacher. What's he saying? He's saying, there's one coming. I'm laying a foundation. I'm making a way so he can come. you got to be born again knowing that you can't be born again right now because he's still here. <laughs> but he's telling Nicodemus, you got to be born again. In other words, he's saying, Nicodemus, you're asking me to teach you how to do what I'm doing. 
and it doesn't work that way. You've got to be born again to do what I'm doing. You've got to be born again to understand the things that I understand. You've got to be born again in order to have the memory that I have, in order to have the knowledge that I have, in order to have the temperance that I have, the virtue, the, the, the patience, the godliness, the brotherly kindness, in order to have the love that I have. You have to be born again. It's not teachable. Oh my, once the blood of Jesus is applied to a sinner, those things are no longer even in his memory. Once there is true repentance, a godly soul for sin, Brother Branham would say, oh, let me read it here. He says, yet, in the message communion in 1965, he says, yet all at once I looked up and I said, I'm not the son of Charles and Ella Branham. There's something calling like my little eagle. I'm not a chicken. There's something up yonder somewhere. Oh, great Jehovah, wherever you are, open up. I want to come home. It's amazing to me. This is the message communion. He says this. But he says, whoever you are, open up. I want to come home. There's something in me calling. Then he stops. He says, then I was born again. That little life was lying there, the predestinated seed, and the life of water, the wash of the water by the word, was poured upon it. Then it began to grow. Now that old life was forgiven. Now that old life was forgiven. Put in the sea of God's forgetfulness to never be remembered against me no more. Think about that. Now the old life completely, and not just, oh, I did these bad things. That's the whole thing. The old life, every time you walked after that nature, he says, it's God. I'm not the son of Charles and Ella Branham anymore. I'm the son of God. See, now we stand justified as though we had never sinned in the presence of God. When does he say that takes place? Justification, but he says it's a work of the Holy Spirit. He says, when I was born again, that whole life was taken away. Because when you're a new creature in Christ, all things... Not a few things. All things are become new. Your conscience is made new. Your imagination is made new. Your memory is made new. Memory is a place that harbors all of those scars. Memory is a place that harbors all of those complexes. That's harbored in your memory. That you take those things in and somebody say something or do something and it sits in there and you just stew on it and stew on it and stew on it until it becomes a complex. Till anytime someone mentions anything remotely close to it, it opens up a wound and you're like, oh, I don't like that. And then if you're, if you're so far into that complex, it'll come from I don't like that to I suddenly don't like that person. And it begins to harbor bitterness. Because it's a root that just grows down inside of a person and gets right down in there. But he says at the new birth, you can have a new memory where those complexes completely get pulled right out. You don't have to have those complexes anymore. You don't have to sit there and be hurt by the same things anymore. David would write in Psalms, 25 and verse 6, he says, Remember, O Lord, thy loving kindness, thy loving, thy tender mercies, and thy loving kindness. Remember, O Lord, memory, remember, O Lord, thy tender mercies and thy loving kindness, for they have ever, have been ever of old. 
What, what does that even mean? If you take it back, I just love the, when you go back to the old Hebrew, it's so compound. And it says that, that this word in the Hebrew, old, ever of old, is, is olam, which is eternal. It's everlasting. It's perpetual. It operates outside the realm of time that our memory operates in. <laughs> thy loving kindness, thy mercies, remember that, God. That it is an eternal, everlasting, perpetual loving kindness. It's not something that just started the day that you gave your heart to him. It's an eternal loving kindness because you are an attribute in him. And if you actually go back, the word olam actually comes from the word alam, which is the secret behind the veil. <laughs> that when you get behind the veil, when it's just you and God alone, when you're there in the booth, <laughs> it's just love. You begin to realize the word of God, the message of the hour, doesn't need my protection. It protects me. Uh, let me just tell you something. I was thinking about it the other day, and I thought God was able to watch over his word through an entire era of dark ages. When it was completely taken from the hands of God, from the hands of men, but we find it went right back into the hands of men, perfect and unblemished. And do we think that now he needs our help? He's an eternal God. He's sovereign. He will use who he will at the season he will. So let us be surrendered to him. Amen. He says in the next verse, he says in verse 7, Remember not the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to thy mercy remember thou me, and for thy goodness sake. So Lord, David is just tapping into something where he's saying, Don't remember my memory. Take the eternal memory of God and remember that before me, oh God. Don't remember by all my little problems, but remember as you saw me. Remember your mercy towards me. In Psalms chapter 79, he would go on and say, oh, remember not. In verse 8, remember not against us former iniquities. Let thy tender mercy speedily prevent us, for we are brought very low. Help us, O oh God, of our salvation for the glory of thy name and deliver us and purge away our sins for thy name's sake, for his glory, for his grace, for his mercy. Oh, saints, forgiveness. To forgive someone is to alleviate the offender of guilt. When someone has repented of something, especially if he's repented for something against you or against me, and you've forgiven them for it, and you bring it back up again. I'm going to say this, and this is hard, but I'm going to say it. You bring it back up again because it's become a scar and a complex in your memory, often because of the imagination of your memory. That's usually how complex is formed because someone says something, you immediately imagine there's a context behind it. Whether there is or isn't is completely unimportant. But it's the fact that you've conjured it up where even in Psalms chapter 2 and verse 1 it says, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? Who's the heathen? The Gentiles. Let me say this, if you're going to bring it back up after you've forgiven that individual, how dare you? 
how dare you? If God doesn't remember it, then we need to allow those same things to remain under the blood in our own lives. Guilt. The atonement of our Lord, it takes away and removes all guilt. The blood of Jesus Christ was not just a payment for sin. It was an expiation. In other words, it was, it was the power enough to remove the guilt and to dispose of the need or cancel the need to offend the offender or to punish the offender. It so alleviates the guilt of the offender. That's what the atonement of God does, but guilt is a memory-based feeling. It's not a future tense. Nobody thinks in future tense of, I will be guilty. No, it's something that's happened. Something that you know has happened causes a feeling that should you ever come into judgment, you will be found guilty because of the past. It's a memory-based feeling. Guilt is brought on by remembrance of past sin, and it can be, it can be immediate after the crime, or it can be years after. I said that very honestly because when you're in your sinful nature before you're born again, you might have stole something little and you thought nothing of it. But suddenly when God came by your way, suddenly when you got a new nature, the guilt began to spring up. And you begin to say, I need to make that right before I can go on with God. And you'll do everything in your power to seek that person out, to seek that individual, to make something right. That for years you had no guilt for it. For years it never bothered you. There's other things, especially when you are a born-again Christian and you fall flat on your face when Satan tricks you into doing something like we were, Brother Ed was talking about this morning, about being trapped into doing something that immediately afterwards and it just the guilt hits you like that. Why is that? Because the devil knows who you are. So he knows that if he can trap you in anything, he wants to hit you with it every little bit he's got. He wants to make you feel so sorry for it and try and prove to you that you're not a son of God anyways. Because there's no way you could have done this if you were a son of God. There's no way you could have done that if you were a daughter of God. That's an immediately guilt over something. But the moment you go before God in repentance, it's over. There's some things that need to be made right. If you want an example, you can take it from the message, believe ye that I am able to do this. In 1950, Brother Bram talks about a woman who came up in the prayer line, standing before him. She was told that she was living untrue to her marriage vows four days before that. Before an audience, 20,000 people are better, he says. That'd be a scary thought, wouldn't it? I thank the Lord that there ain't nobody here like that. But she come up thinking, well, I just need healing. I just need this or that. She come up and, then, and oh my, and then the prophet's standing there. He says, no, you've lived untrue to your marriage vows four days ago. So that's embarrassing. It had to happen. She started crying. The man behind her was her husband. He jerked her around and said, what's this? What's this? She said, darling, I'm sorry. 
Then it just, I, I just let myself loose. It moved over on him and turned out he had the same act with his bookkeeper. In the car that they were with and they, where they were at, he just turned white and said, brother, what must I do? As soon as this, the, the, the devil's exposed, he's completely powerless. My, he thought he had something over her. What do you think? What's this? You lived untrue to me. And Brother Brown says, you too. Pop. There goes the bubble. You got to know where you're standing. You got to know that your heart does not condemn you. He says, they, what, what did they do? What did they have to do? They just went and knelt behind the curtain and they just rededicated their marriage vows and they walked on. And next thing you know, they were in that church from then on serving God. What was hindering them from going on? An unrepented sin. They had guilt for something that they were trying to hide and bury down. But as soon as it got exposed, God was able to work and God was able to move and God was able to heal them. But God always provides a way out. Look, he says, Brother Brown says in Jehovah Jireh 1962, he says, God, after that, he made the covenant with Abraham. Grace had already provided a prophet deliverer for them down in Egypt to carry out the word of Abraham. Remember Moses under the bush. God said, I've heard the cries of my people, and I remembered my promise. In other words, God's saying, I'm sharing my memory with you now, Moses, that this isn't something I just came up new and said, oh, there's people crying, I think it would happen. No, it was, he'd already spoken it. It was in his memory. He said, it came back to his remembrance. I'm sending you to fulfill the word that I've already spoken. Before there was any law, grace provided it. Grace had provided a sacrifice for their guilt. A lamb. Grace had provided a covenant of circumcision was already been provided before the law was ever in place. Grace had provided a pillar of fire to lead them, following a prophet of security that the measure that the prophet had told them the truth. It was the word that he was talking about. They know that God promised it. And he here was the pillar of fire confirming it. What a devil security. We've had the same thing happen today. Where Brother Branham, the, the, the message has been spoken exactly according to the word. It was the word of God and the pillar of fire came and confirmed it. A double security. And how many made it into the promised land? Two. It's serious. Where are we living at? We're just walking by our own way or saying, uh, I got things you don't understand, Brother Andrew. I, I understand. You, you have some things, and I don't understand everybody's problems. But I know God does. And I know that there's a deliverance, and there's a deliverer. And the scripture says in Philippians chapter 2, it says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Let this mind that was in Christ, let it be in you. The same memory, the same conscience, the same affections. How does that happen? It's so simple. Let the Holy Ghost that you've already had in you, let it just begin to come out. 
Let it take over the spirit and surrender yourself to it. The Brother Brandon will talk about it. It's so simple, men just pass right over it. Let's go to Romans chapter 8, and then we'll try and... Romans chapter 8 and verse 11. It says, But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies. Quicken to bring to life your mortal bodies, by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if we live after the flesh, we shall die. But if you through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby you cry, Abba, Father. That's what the Holy Ghost does in you, the spirit that you've received. It's a crying to come up higher. It's a constant cry to go closer to God, like he cried on the message communion. God, wherever you are, I want to be with you. He says, and the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. In other words, the works that it brings forth, it will produce the right works. He says, glory to God, it don't bother me. You can say, it don't bother me, I'm a child of God. Go and do whatever things I want. The Spirit of God will do the works of God. Jesus said, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also if the if the." If this vine comes forth and it produces a bunch of grapes, the next one comes forth and produces a bunch of pumpkins and there's something wrong. It's a, it's a, it's a drafted or crafted in church. It, it, it's a drafted vine. It's a grafted person. There we go. I can't even get it straight. It's a grafted person. It's a person with some denomination. Belongs to a denomination, calls themselves a Christian, don't have the Holy Ghost and have the power of God and all these things. That's from the message adoption number three. But we find that you can have that where you, you have a spirit and you can have a workup. But it's got to produce the same thing. The fruit has to manifest itself. You know the tree by the fruit that it bears. Now, I want to go back into the mind of God for the last 10 minutes here. Are you still with me? In the, in the seven churches, Smyrnian church age, Brother Branham says, down through the centuries we could go. We find a Moses and a Jeremiah, a John the Baptist. Each one of these were God's eternal thought expressed in its season. They couldn't come out of season. God had to express him at a certain decreed season. Then we come to Jesus, the Logos. He was the perfect and complete thought expressed. And he become known as the Word. That is what he is and he will have forever will be. It's Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now it says this. The Word says this, that he hath chosen us in him. 
We read that in Ephesians chapter 1. Before the foundation of the world. That means that we were right there with him. Not in another place. We were right there with him in the mind and thoughts of God before the foundation of the world. And that gives an eternal quality to the elect. Notice, I just want to make a very specific something. That, do, that doesn't mean a pre-existing being. It is the fact that we were in the thoughts of God before, even before the beginning, before the word was ever spoken. That is what gives the sons of God an eternal quality. That is what gives us an eternal being. That is what gives us an eternal thought, an eternal quality of being. Now I want to go a little further. Visible Union in 1965 in November. He says, now remember, well, we believe this, but we, well, we don't believe that. You could say that. He says, but if you're married to Christ, Christ is the word of God. In St. John, the first chapter, it says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the same was made flesh and dwelled among us. Christ was the living Word. He always was the Word. He's still the Word. He always will be the Word. He was only the manifestation of the attributes of God. For He was the Son of God, and any Son is the attributes of His Father. And just as you were in the genes of your father, in the body of your father, when you was a young boy, you were in him, yet you, you could have no fellowship with him because he didn't know you. So like, well, before you were born, your first birth, how you were in the loins of your father. But he says that, that, but then through the bedding ground of a mother, you were brought forth into the earth and become the image of your father. Then he could have fellowship with you. And so were you the sons of God and the daughters of God, before there ever was a moon, stars, or a molecule, you were the sons and daughters of God. For you are only now the physical manifestation of the attributes that was in God at the beginning. For there's only one form of eternal life, and that was you before you don't know nothing about it. <laughs> Neither did you know any when you were in your earthy father. You didn't know him then. But you're manifested in his image. In the image of God you were made. And you were manifested for the glory and the fellowship of God. That's why when Brother Tim was here, he could preach it. He could say our entire purpose is to worship God. We were created for his glory and for his fellowship. And therefore, as sure as your genes had to be in your father before the natural birth, your spiritual genes had to be in God because you're an expression of the attributes of his thoughts before the foundation of the world. That's right. There is no way around it. Think about it. You are an expression of the thoughts of God. You're an expression of Jesus Christ. That is your purpose of being. It's to bring glory to God. To worship God. To have fellowship with God. That is the entire purpose. And it's not that we were with him because he is the purpose of a binger. Because when we were just in his thoughts, we could not have fellowship. We were just a thought. An attribute. It's no different. I thought, Landon's here tonight, I thought I'd like to have a son. 
but yet I couldn't have fellowship with him in that form. I thought I'd like to have a daughter, but I couldn't have fellowship with her just in the form of a thought. And I, trust me, I imagine how they would be, and they're nothing like that. They're much better. <laughs> but that's my own thoughts. That I thought, oh, it's, it's going to happen this way, it's going to happen that. That's the thoughts of a man. I read to young people, our thoughts will fail. God's thoughts will not fail. When God thinks in his thoughts and he imagines his son will be this way, that's exactly how he will be. Jesus said in John 14, said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If you'd known me, you should have, then you should have known my Father also. And from henceforth you know him and have seen him. And Philip said unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. And Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long with you? And yet hast thou not known me, Philip? Who was speaking at this moment? He was such an expression of God. Now, he didn't speak and say, Philip, I've shown the Father so long. No, he says, I, the Father, I have been so long with you, and yet you don't know me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And thou hast seen them show us, and thou, and thou sayest unto them, show us the Father. See, Paul could say, let the mind that was in Christ be in you. It's by revelation that this mind has to come to you. The memory of God is not a memory to be learned. It is a memory of revelation. Amen. It is something that even Peter, when he says, Who do you say that I am? Peter said, Thou art the Christ. He says, Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. In other words, you can't be taught this. But the Father in heaven has revealed it to you. He showed it to you. It's by revelation that you can have a memory that came from before the foundation of the world. Right back to your origins. Oh my. The memory of who you really are as a son of God. That's why when you come to yourself, like the prodigal son, when he came to himself, he recognized, I'm a son, but I'm not even worthy to be a son. When a man today comes to himself, he recognizes, she recognizes, I'm a daughter of God, but I'm not even worthy to be that. Just let me be the doormat. Just let me be the footwash flunky. It doesn't matter as long as I'm in the Father's house. That memory becomes greater than this memory by revelation. Catch that. Your eternal memory becomes more real than this life's memory by revelation. It becomes more real that I really am not the son of Tim and Allison, Tim and Allison Dodd. I am really not the son of, of, of Michael and Nancy Perizak. I am really not the daughter of such and such. I'm really not that one. I'm a different one. I've got a heavenly father. I didn't come from them. I came from above. Oh, when it gets to that point, let me tell you, it'll melt away the scars. It will melt away the complexes. It will mend your broken heart. Oh, the preacher says, who can, man, who can bear a broken spirit? But Christ inside you can not only bear a broken spirit, he can heal a broken spirit. 
He could completely not just stitch it together, but so that way you couldn't even tell it was broken in the first place. Because it's not just the same spirit, it's a new spirit. This ministry, this gospel, this message is not a bunch of new thoughts and a new way of living. It's a reconciliation of your theophany memory. It's a reconciliation. This message in which all the mystery of God would be finished is by revelation reconciling the eternal thoughts of God that became the Logos and turned those eternal thoughts into the eternal seed word. Because it was in the Logos that he spoke, let there be. But now it's come back upon the worshiper. Because it's reconciling you back into Christ. Not as a new father, but as a prodigal son. Returning to his rightful place. As joint heirs with the Son of God. Scripture says in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1, as we're closing, the musicians want to come. It says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew not him. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. And we shall see him as he is. Hallelujah. What manner of love has the Father bestowed upon us? Because you can't just become a son. You can't just become a son of God. The only way you could be born again is to be elected. Outside of being elected, predestined to see to God, there is no new birth for you. Oh, you can, get, you can get saved. But there's no rapture. You have to be elected for that. You have to be predestinated for that. You say, how will I know, Brother Andrew? You'll know. <laughs> That's the absolute best way to say, you'll know. Because when the word of God comes across your path and strikes the word that's already in you, it can't help it. You can't help but receive it. You can't help but believe it. You can't help but live it. Because it's your everything. It's Christ is all in all. And he reconciled us back unto him that we become a new creature and all things become new. Hallelujah. Let's stand to our feet. Let the worshipers arise. Father, I see that you are drawing a line in the sand, and I want to be standing on your side, holding your hands. So let your kingdom come. Let it live in me. This is my prayer, this is my plea, let the worshipers arise, oh, let the sons and the daughters sing, oh, I'm surrendering my all, 
There's a memory that predates all the scars, all the complexes, all the hardships, all the trials. There's a memory that God wants to give you by revelation that goes before all those things ever happened. If I could tell you for surety, you don't have to live with those things. You don't have to allow those things to become roots of bitterness and chop down in your life. You could just take him at his word. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, Lord. Don't let me walk in my own way any longer, but let me walk in the ways of righteousness. Let me become the righteousness of God through the reconciliation of the blood of Jesus Christ. How is that possible? All things are become new, even your memory. There are things, church, I was talking to my wife last night where we were talking about some things in the past. I said, honey, that is so far removed from my memory. I actually don't have a clue what you're talking about. He said, that's crazy. No, I'm being honest with you. Psychology would want to come in and say, that's memory blocks. No, that's the blood of Jesus. That is so far under the blood of Jesus that there is no more remembrance of sin. There is nothing else. He said, oh, it's only God that can forget. Only God can do those things. No, you can be so lost in him. So when Satan brings those things up again, you say, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. I didn't do those things. That was the influence of an unredeemed nature. But I'm a new creation. I'm a new creature. That's not me anymore. I'm not the same person anymore. I don't do those things anymore. And church, run. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Flee from temptation. Don't walk as close to those things as you can. Stay away from them. You're a new creature. Don't give life to the old man again. Stay away from it. Say, but, but I don't go by those old ways anymore. Don't talk about those things then. Don't give it a voice. 
I just need to talk personally right now. Don't give it a voice and start talking. Do you remember when so-and-so did that horrible thing? Don't talk about that. Don't give it a voice. Say, no, that's done. That's been forgiven. That's under the blood. I've alleviated them of guilt. They're not guilty as far as I'm concerned because they're not guilty as far as God's concerned. Oh, my. No, you're not that the saints shall judge the earth, judge the world. We're going to have to stand there on judgment day because we stood here being judged. And we'll have to stand there behind the throne meeting out mercy. That's a whole other service. Forgiveness is more powerful than vengeance. By this shall all men know you are my disciples, that you have loved one for another. Not that you remember all each other's faults, failures, and hardships. Forget those things. Walk anew with God. Walk in love with one another. Rejoice with one another. God bless you, Sister Pramila. Thank you for that testimony this morning. Rejoice with one another. God's done things. It's not to dig up the past and say, well, why did that? Why did that? No. Rejoice when God is moving. Don't you just love him so much? I want to sing that song. We are heirs. We are heirs. We are joint heirs. We are heirs of the Father. We are joint heirs with the Son. We are 